Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. My name's Joe, and I'm from Cape Cod, and I'm a sexaholic, and I'm thrilled to be here. Um, my new friend here, Maisel, and I are the panelists today, and we want to welcome you to our session on fellowship. And it says, again, I'm supposed to say my name is Joe, and I'm a recovering sexaholic, and I will be facilitating this session and we'll be joined again by my young friend here, Maisel, which was good fortune. <laughs> good, good fortune in Hebrew. Good fortune in Hebrew. So we're going to be fortunate. Each of us will share our recovery on this topic of fellowship. Then we will take time to answer questions. Questions uh, will be taken from the Ask It Basket. We don't happen to have a basket, but we've got cards. Um, um, so if anywhere along the way, you can pick up a card, write down a question, drop it off, whatever, or probably you can just hold up your hand like in a normal meeting. Um, in the spirit of the fifth tradition, uh, to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Let us open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. The essay purpose, Sexaholics Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for essay membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. So we'll start. I was asked to also record this. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Mazal, and I'm a al- uh, sexaholic. I'm not an alcohol sexaholic. Um, so I was talk. I was asked to talk about uh, my experience, strengths, and hope in the fellowship uh, using the fellowship of uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, now, I don't know if any of you will relate, but 
Since I remember myself, I always suffered from terminal uniqueness. I was always worse than everybody, and at the same time, I was always better than everybody, and at the same time, I was always different than everybody, and nobody understood me. doesn't matter whatever the, the circumstances are. I was always special. I was always different, and I always felt left out no matter how much uh, people didn't see it on the outside. That was always my feeling, and... Um, I came to a 12-step fellowship when I was 18, um, and I was in it for a year, and I always felt that there was still something missing, that there was, it wasn't everything. I couldn't be honest that there was still this thing that I was ashamed of, that was secret, that I felt like I couldn't talk about, um, and that was, that was, it blocked me off, um, and my sponsor, I opened up about it to my sponsor, and she suggested that I go to Sexaholics Anonymous. Um, and me being suffering from terminal uniqueness, I thought this was a terrible idea. Um, but eventually I picked up the phone, the, the phone number that I got uh, for a secretary for a meeting to confirm. And, and I started telling her about myself, and she told me her story. And and I related to it, and that was so strange for me because, oh, wait, so we're talking openly about something that I feel shame about, that I feel like I have to hide, and and I'm relating to you. And I said, I'll give it a try. I'll leave after the first meeting, but I'll give it a try. Um, and so I went there, and then I met her, and it was it was surreal because she is completely different from me. Like, I, I spoke to her on the phone, and I really related, and all of a sudden I see this older woman who's ultra-religious, and I'm not religious, and she has kids, and I don't, and she's, like, just completely different walks of life, and and I was like, how did I relate to this woman? Um, said, whatever, mazal, step-by-step, step, take it, just go into the meeting, um, and in the meeting, I had somebody talk to me, um, give over, I don't know how you say this in English, but talk to the newcomer. Um, and I started crying because I heard the pain in her voice when she was talking about her story. And, and I related so much that I started crying in the meeting. Um, and she talked about the fact that now she can just sit with herself and be serene. And that so touched me. And I said, I want to be able to sit by myself and be serene. Um, and I told her that I wouldn't make a decision about it to leave or to stay and that I, and I wouldn't make a decision right now. And people asked me for my number and, and I was blown away. Like, why do these people care? Why do they want my phone number? Why do they want to talk to me? Um, and this was during the holidays of my face tradition. And I wasn't going to meetings because of the holidays. And people from the meeting just picked up the phone and called me. And I was very confused. I felt in the fog of lust. And these people cared and talked to me. And, and it was so moving and so touching that I came back. Um, and... I just kept coming back because before, like before I got a sponsor, before I started working the steps in SA, I, it was the thing that brought me back. After my second meeting, I, I wasn't asked. I was told, Oh, you're coming on a hike with us. I was like, Okay, I'm coming on a hike with you guys. Um, 
And also in the first meeting, I met somebody who said like, oh, let's go to a mix. My first meeting was a women's only meeting. And she's like, come to a mixed meeting with me. And I said, okay. And for me, that was something I don't know how I would have gotten into SA without having those people that took my phone number, that told me about additional meetings, that told me to come with them to, to different events. I don't know how I would have done it. Um, at that same meeting, I was put into a WhatsApp group. Um, and I would ask, is, is anybody available to listen to Sharon? And people said yes, and they were just so nice. Um, and, it, and it blew me away. And I said, okay, I decided to stay because I, I just saw the connection and love that people had for one another. Uh, and I had people just be interested for the sake of being interested in me. They, um, people helped me find a sponsor. I got a sponsor. I started, uh, working the steps and talking to people. And, and there was this connection that I couldn't find anywhere else. And for the first few months, I still had this like, the nagging thought that like, I'm so different. You guys are this, you guys are older, you guys are younger, you guys are married, you guys are divorced, you guys are acted out like this and you guys acted out like this. Um, and something important for me personally, I'm just speaking from my own experience that helped me with that was getting a home group, giving service in it and, and really being a part of and committing to coming to a meeting every week and, and being in an odd way, not accountable to somebody, but I come and they know me, they know me when I'm upset. They know me when I'm excited. They know they, they know to keep me in check and, and it's a place where I come and I'm honest. Um, I went through, and when I was around six months sober, I, I had a, a very uh, rough emotional time and, and I was complaining to somebody and, and they just stopped me and said, wait, 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 Mazal, are you sponsoring? And I said, uh, no. And it's like, go sponsor, then go complain. Like you can first go get a sponsor, then you can complain. And that constant honesty of, of people putting me in my not putting me in my place in a negative way, but reminding me uh, to recenter to the solution. Um, and I know that there's, for me at least, I came to program and I got sober on the fellowship of SA. Um, and that helped me and, and get a sponsor and maintain my sobriety. I think the solution is the steps and that's what keeps me sober. But in that very initial, um, getting into, to SAI, I needed that fellowship as a gateway to make sense of everything. Um, and I'm involved in my home group and I'm involved with the women in, I'm from Israel. And so I'm involved in making time for women and helping build a community in terms of, from my personal experience, the women. And I've seen it grow from when I went to a mixed meeting for the first time, there was a handful of girls sitting in like this like corner in the back where you couldn't see them. Um, and now there's, in uh, the meetings I go to, there's between uh, five to seven women uh, in my home group. And it's amazing to see the fact that I can do for other people what was done for me. I can take somebody new in SA 
um, and talk to them and ask them if they have a sponsor and just be interested and just listen and just and share honestly and teach people how to, to share honestly by setting an example and listening to people share and this whole fellowship that builds up. And I, I can truly say that my closest friends right now are in SA. Um, and that means doing recreational activities together. And it means just this family, this feeling of family all around. Um, and for me, it's one of the things that I feel very blessed about. I feel like when I came to SA, I felt like I found my family. I, I had that connection and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I think it's really important because I see people that don't go into the fellowship, that come to meetings, but aren't actually emotionally, they're not in the fellowship. And, and to me, that's very sad because it's one of, I think, the greatest gifts that I got. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to share. Thank you for listening. Like I said, I'm Joe, a sexaholic from Cape Cod in Massachusetts, uh, originally from Kansas, a uh, little town of 4,500 people. My dad was a senior machinist on the Missouri Pacific Railroad, and my mother was the home economics teacher at the high school. Everybody knew me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I had um, perfect parents. Can't say I was abused. Can't say any of those things. They weren't necessarily perfect, perfect people. Thank you. Um, uh, but uh, they were perfect parents for me. But the minute I stepped out the door, I was lost. I didn't know how to relate to people. So as some, I understand addicts do, they either, uh, they go in one of two directions. And I went in the direction of trying to excel valedictorian sports, gold medal clarinet player in the state, you know, that kind of junk. Um, and I was so together, I went to the University of Kansas as a pre-med student, and in my sophomore year, I couldn't figure out what I was doing. So at the outset of the Vietnam War that wasn't talked about that much, I walked... University of Kansas is built on seven hills. It's probably the only non-flat place in Kansas. And I walked down to downtown Lawrence, and the first uh, recruiter I found was the Army, and I enlisted for four years. That probably tells you I was a bit of an addict. Um, when I ended up coming out to Massachusetts to Fort Devens uh, for training in the Army Security Agency, ended up staying there. Um, and stayed there. Uh, a gentleman that was working with me in the uh, service bureau-like environment uh, was leaving and going back to the Midwest. He had a part-time job at a retailer called Zaire. For those of you that have white hair, you might remember it. Uh, and uh, he was making a dollar seventy-five an hour, and I was making a buck and a quarter working at the post library when I wasn't doing my duty. You know, I thought that was a pretty good thing, so I went and went to a Christmas party. And as Christmas parties go, move around tables and uh, ended up sitting next to a tall statue, a blonde woman. 
that I was uh, with for 54 years, 50 of it almost married. Um, so I give something of it. My wife, uh, when we she passed away, which just uh, this past June, was almost 50 years sober in the AA program. Now that you would think because I was an addictive person, that would have made some impact on me, but it didn't. I took her to meetings. I read all of the slogans and all of that. And the best thing I could come up with was, this is a great program, but the entry price was too high. Um, little did I know I was in it. I was just a multi. I, I, I think I possibly can be addicted to anything. Um, I was a workaholic. I didn't just smoke. I smoked two to four packs of cigarettes a day. If I drank, I drank to oblivion and um, all of that. And all along the way, um, I was consumed with lust. It just popped out in all kinds of different directions. I had my own IT business, and for a long time, I just got lost in it. But uh, things changed, so I was more back in the office, and there was a computer setting in front of me, and that took me into the world of pornography and, and masturbation and all of that sort of thing. And it just got darker and darker and darker and darker. And uh, a friend of mine talks about being on a park bench in New York City in Central Park. My park bench was my family room in the dark, sitting on it in front of a TV, clicking through the channels, looking for something. I didn't know what. And it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. I went to church every Sunday. I was a convert to the Catholic faith. Uh, I was a lecturer, a lector. I read from the lectionary. I did all those kind of things. Didn't matter. And um, we had a home in Key West, and uh, we went to a clubhouse for a meeting. And the, the, the sexual part had started popping up. I didn't have affairs, but I had affairs of the mind. For sure. And uh, it all exploded down there. And um, she went on the Internet scared out of her mind trying to find something that would uh, she could hang on to. And that's how I got to the program. I mean, I'd like to say I was self-motivated and all of that, but I wasn't. So at that clubhouse, uh, around sometime in March, I claim March 29th, 2012, um, a huge guy stood up and said, we pass out chips. And he said, anybody who wants a white chip, uh, raise their hand. I did. And I think my wife almost fell out of her seat. And that was the start of my journey in both AA and SA. Um, now, I'll tell you, interestingly enough, this is my first convention. It's my first international convention. It's my first face-to-face essay meeting. Um, everything I've done has been uh, phone, etc. I've been deeply involved. Um, I'm actually now the secretary of the 8.30 a.m. and 4 p.m. daily sobriety renewal in the Eastern Time Zone. And I'm also secretary of the phone and voice over internet protocol virtual intergroup. Uh, probably when I got to the
the program. If I was lucky, I might have three or four people I could call a friend. Now I've got a huge Rolodex of friends. It's funny that the young lady mentioned she's from Israel because just a few weeks ago, a fellow that I knew from Florida through the phone meetings was had moved permanently to Israel, and he sent me a text and said, I'd like you to be my sponsor. So it so happens February 10th, I'm going to Israel for 12 days on a uh, pilgrimage. So I've got, I've got someone there. Um, a friend of mine from Alabama that I sponsor um, said he was coming to the meeting, and he said, can I pick you up at the airport? In Nashville. So he picked me up last night and we went out to dinner together. Another friend who lives here in Nashville um, texted me and said, What are you doing Saturday night? And I said, Well, I'm going to the convention. He said, Well, how about coming over to my house and my wife will cook dinner for us? To me, all of this is what fellowship is about. Fellowship is a state of being. It's not four walls. It's not just a meeting. It's the interaction with people that are like you, that understand. For the first time in my life, I met people that I could relate to. Until I got to the program, I, I could talk. I'm you know, a business guy. I could make presentations and all that. I could never, ever share anything about me as a person. Or a human being. If I talked to guys, it was about sports. If I talked to ladies, it was just being nice and polite and all of that. When I wasn't trying to stare at them and ogle them, and which I did all my life, I think. Yeah. I even remember when I was dating, my wife said, well, your eyeballs are about falling out. And it just went on that way. Um until it became the addiction that took, the medication that took over from all others. Um, now I'm peaceful. Um, this past spring, my wife got ill and um, very rapidly deteriorated. I took her into the hospital on Cape Cod June 2nd, and by June 28th, I was planning her funeral. Miracle for her because she didn't have to suffer, but um, it just blew my socks off, I must tell you. And it was my destiny to find the program because it gave me a huge group of people to be in contact with, texting, emailing, phone, got me through an impossible situation. I don't even imagine what it would have been like before I was really in the program. Maybe some family. Family's good. You know, they rise to the occasion, but this was way more than that. Um, when she passed away, most of the people in the phone meetings I'm involved with know my wife by name because I used to constantly refer to her as my, uh, Margaret, my life partner. Up until uh, I got to the program, Margaret was my wife. And then 
Amazingly, she got so much smarter when I got into recovery. Um, had so many wonderful and, and, and focused ideas. And uh, she, I took to referring to her as my life partner. And uh, some of the people on meeting with life, you know, they kind of ignored it. And then finally one day a fellow said to me, well, what in the world's the difference between a, li- a wife and a life partner? I said, well, the only thing I can use to describe it is my father was married three times, thankfully. I'm the product of the third marriage, so he, he stayed the course or I wouldn't be here. But he only had one life partner, and it was my mother. I didn't have to be divorced, and that's the because of Margaret. She surely could have dumped me along the way, uh, but she didn't. She stayed the course with me, and for the la- at least the last eight I was always a materially good husband. I always looked out for her. If she was sick or ill or the family was, I was always there. But many's the time I was emotionally absent, for sure. And uh, I wasn't the last eight years. And that was a blessing, and it only came from this fellowship. Let me say it again, fellowship. It isn't the fellowship that got me sober or kept me sober. It's my finding the God of my not understanding, because uh, I don't, and uh, finding faith, not belief. Found that on my knees at the side of the bed because my uh, life partner said, maybe you should get on your knees when you're praying. I Thought that only three-year-olds did that because I remember doing it at about three or four-year-old. Now I lay me down to sleep, you know, that old old thing. But I did because at that point I was afraid she'd throw me out the door anyway, so I thought I'd better do that. And I stayed on my knees long enough to get, for the first time in my life, I'm sure, a touch of humility and a recognition there was a power greater than myself that could help me. Did the steps. First time through, I think it just differentiated between one, two, three, four, five. I, I had some idea what they were, and I continue to do them. I, I, I like to tell people I live inside step six and seven because that's where my recovery came into being. Um, my wife used to tell people at meetings, and I try to do the same thing. If you're struggling... You don't think it'll work. If it can't work for you, you're sure. Stay until a miracle happens. I've never met a person yet, a guy that I've been around, a woman, anybody, that doesn't make it if they stay. People give up. They go away. People drift away because they think they've got it. And those are the people with 5, 10, 15 years that all of a sudden... Slip. I love the acronym for slip. Sobriety last in priority. There's nothing more important than my recovery. Nothing. I used to tell my wife that, and she was very happy to hear that. So, I guess that's my take on fellowship. And um I'll end by um, 
In addition to uh, the phone meetings, we uh, it's been started, and I started one here a couple of months ago, a WhatsApp group. And it provides a 7 by 24 uh, fellowship. People can be there any time of the day, any place, speak up, connect, whatever. And it, I wrote this the other day, and I think it pretty much sums up the way I feel. Today is the best Thursday or Friday of my life. In recovery, how could it be anything else? I cannot possibly tell you how different I am inside since March 29, 2012, when I found abstinence, then recovery, then finally a life in daily recovery. What an incredible and peaceful life. 2019 included the death of the most beautiful woman I've ever known. I was really lucky she chose me to be her husband and then chose to stay with me in the ups and downs of life with an addict. During her decline in the spring and the and then her death, this wonderful life partner of mine, everything this program gave me, my God, faith, the steps as a way of life, the wonderful fellowship that gave me constant support were then and are now my salvation. The miracle of this program really exists. The promises are realized. Stay until you experience the miracle as I have, one day at a time. Thank you. So we're open. You can write a question and give it down. You can ask a question, talk about anything you want, because... Because she and I are here till two fifteen, according to the to to that, so we refuse to leave. <laughs> yes, sir. Joe, you'll have to repeat the question to the microphone there. But uh, your friends, you talk about this wonderful fellowship of friends that you have and how much bigger it than it was before, how many more you have. Uh, yet all of those friends are among us broken, perverted people who are the dregs of society, or at least once were. Does that ever bother you? Uh, and, and do you treat other people differently than the people in SA? Well, I'll, a- I'll answer that. Maybe you... Oh, um... I got a lot more. I have to paraphrase here. I've got a lot more friends now in recovery than I did before, but they're a broken group of people that, in various states of recovery, might have been looked at as the dregs of society. Does that ever bother you? And how do you relate to that? Um, I never really think of it that way. I, I guess because uh, they are me. Um, what they actually did may not be what I actually did, but what was going on inside of them was what was going on inside of me. I never, ever dealt with fear, anger, and resentment. I always buried it. It was so prevalent in my life that I had a consulting business in IT, and I had a lot of people, and I used to tell them when they'd get angry at clients, don't get angry. Bill. 
And that was who I was. And that's how I dealt with everything. Um, I'm, I'm a lot more peaceful with people, and I understand them more. Uh, I don't get internally angry with people because I don't know where they're coming from any more than they did. I just want to be part of a peaceful recovering day, and, and I want to be with people that I know I like and understand. Um, <clears throat> so I don't see my friends as the dregs of society. <laughs> it, um, I, I honestly don't relate to that. I think that I have friends that are have done have harmed themselves through the actions they took because they're sick people. Um, and I can be there to support them. Um, but that's all there is to it. I don't, I don't think there's any shame in our disease. Um, I don't think if, if I'm, if I truly admit that I am a sick person, not a bad person, then then that's the same for them and there's nothing to be ashamed of and there's nothing no reason to judge them um i do know that there are friends uh, fellows in women fellows in recovery as men as well as men fellow in recoveries that i know that their disease is such that i have to set certain boundaries uh even though we are friends, even though we are have a relationship, there are. I know that they are sick people, and so I know that I need to set boundaries because I'm also a sick person. But that I just don't see them as sick people, so I don't relate to that. <laughs> Thank you. That's the hardest thing when I I encounter guys in the program and they ask me or they they get involved and they. They're always forever, particularly with this disease. And if they have any time, I've sponsored some priests and things like that. And they think of themselves as sinners or uh, horrid people. And I just said, no, you're not a bad person. You're just a sick person. And uh, there's a solution here. Because uh, I was as soul sick as you can get when I got here. And I'm not that way anymore. I love life. Um, took me a long time to get here. I, when I walked into the program, unlike this young lady, I was 69 years old. 76 now, I'll be 77 next month. These are the best of times. I mean, I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm in no hurry. <laughs> Hope that answered your question. Yes, sir. Yeah, sure. Hey, my name is uh, Lee from Atlanta. Uh, so, uh, the last few months I was really uh, discouraged with not being able to maintain sobriety or not even care about sobriety or the program. And, uh, but during that time, uh, my higher power slash God revealed this in insight to me. And it reads, uh, to neglect any kind of fellowship is to give up the encouragement 
and help of other members. We gather together to be strengthened in one purpose. And, you know, that to me that applies not only to the fellowship of SA, but to the fellowship of my my Christian belief of being at church uh, because I was isolating those last few months, and that's the last thing that uh, I wanted to do because uh, it was very unhealthy. But uh, so I'm just thankful for uh, when I saw the uh, the schedule before I left home, and I saw the importance of fellowship. I knew that I had to be at this session, and uh, and I wanted to share the insight also that God has revealed to me. Thank you. If anybody else has a question, if they can also just head over here so we can keep uh, smooth. You don't have to depend on either one of us paraphrasing. (laughs) I'm Bill from Chicago. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi, Bill. Uh, I can't even begin to express the importance of fellowship. For you who have had no contact with people until now, God bless you. You're a hero. I wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, I look at my fellowship, which is unfortunately all men. Um, these are guys that I have absolutely nothing in common with. Absolutely nothing in common. We would never meet. You know, we would never meet. We all have different jobs, different professions. And yet we share stuff that is at such a level, it's unbelievable. So people always argue, is it the fellowship or the steps? And of course the answer is, it's both. Uh, but I cannot, we, we restructured how we do new members, or not new members, visitors, new people. They used to take them out into a room. I don't know what they did with them. Uh, and we decided to change it. And we have found that somebody who's new, sitting in that fellowship, hearing people's lives, they say, whew, that sounds like me. So we've got to keep the fellowship aspect going. Now, I, to me, it's one of the most valuable things. You know, unlike most men, I'm a loner. I'm sure you guys are not loners, but I'm a loner. I don't know about women. I haven't known enough about women in essay. But, uh, you know, I could function by myself in front of the computer perfectly happily until I realized I was destroying everything. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I just want to share uh, my thoughts on the last share. Um, I know that for me, it's very important to have diversity um, in the fellowship because it helps me realize that it's a disease. Because if everybody can get it, then then it's not to do with my religion. It's not to do with my socioeconomic background. It's not to do with my parents were like this or like this. It has to do with something deeper. 
Um, so for me, that's very important, the diversity uh, in fellowship. In my home group, we have women, we have ultra-religious Hasidic Jews, we have uh, Catholic, we have, we have all sorts of different people. And for me, that's very important. Uh, you mentioned that you're an all-men's meeting and you don't know how women would relate to that. To me, it's very important, the diversity, because it helps me realize that it's an actual disease and not not something of this religion or that religion or this type of person or this type of person, but it's um, just a cross-section of every walk of life. Thanks. I am Malcolm, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Malcolm. Uh, formerly from St. Louis, where I got sober, and now I'm living in Wilmington, Delaware. And... Uh, I've got a friend from St. Louis in here, and I got a friend from Delaware in this room, so <laughs> it's good. Uh, I've never fallen in love with phone meetings. I've always uh, had face-to-face meetings. Um, I broke my leg back in uh, 2011, and I was laid up a bit and couldn't get to meetings, or at least uh, for a while, for about four, six, four to six weeks, and then got guys to come pick me up and take me to the meeting. And and I tried phone meetings and I wasn't I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me. So, but I stayed sober during the time. I called friends, you know, and they called me, but I didn't participate in phone meetings. Uh <clears throat> we can survive with the fellowship. The fellowship has to come first, I think. Or it has to be uh, you know, be out there willing to take me into their arms, you know, in a, in a way. And uh, I'm I'm a person that's uh, been injured, been hurt from childhood. Uh, my father uh, was a raging, uh, not an alcoholic, but a prescription drug addict. He had back problems, and like I got now. <laughs> and he took all kinds of prescriptions to kill the pain. And uh, when that stuff wore off, he was a tyrant. And... Uh, so, um, there were crazy things going on in that house that I don't understand. But I, I became a loner in a way that I discovered masturbation and pictures. I hooked those two things up, and boy, oh boy. Um, one of the last, the last time I heard Roy speak in Philadelphia in 2005, he talked about the power of the look and how powerful it is for us. And, uh, I can't. I can't do pornography. Pornography, like me, for me, is like heroin laced with fentanyl, you know. And uh, I can't have that. That's not something I can do. Um, the computer. I don't, I'm a guy that doesn't like the computer. I am a klutz on the computer. In fact, electronic gadgets of all kinds, including my phone, uh, you know, man, not good. But um, uh, fortunately, I've uh, had enough presence to not use my phone in an adverse, negative way. And uh, uh, I've been tempted, but uh, I know, again, it's like taking poison, and I don't need to do that. Um, I recently, 2019, celebrated 30 years in AA sober, and recently, I celebrated 17 years in this fellowship. 
But it's a day-to-day thing for me. I have to go to a meeting. I go to an AA meeting every morning at 7.30. And on Sundays at 8.30. And I go to, I'm trying, you know, the fellowship in Wilmington has been very sparse and hard to keep together. And so um, Tuesdays and Friday nights are my ASA meetings. And um, I'm talking to people on the phone, taking phone calls, calling people, and uh, keeping in touch that way. Uh, but congratulations on getting to your very first face-to-face meeting. That is unbelievable. Uh, um, and I, I want to say I got 12 stepped in an old-fashioned way where two guys invited me to dinner, and they told me their stories. Wow. They didn't ask much about me, but they told their stories, and I re- could relate. Not to everything that they said, of course not, but, you know, to, to enough of it to know that I had a problem. I couldn't describe it as a disease at the time, but uh, I soon learned it was. So, you know, and uh, that was 1987, and it took me about 16 years to get to that point where I said I've had enough and I can't do this anymore and I put myself 100% into this program um, because I made a commitment to do a uh, to see if we couldn't put together a convention in St. Louis in 2006 funny thing is there was one in December of uh, 1986 (laughs) the December before I found S.A. And uh, it was a small convention out near the airport, their hotel, and all the guys like Roy were there, and Mike C., and I don't know about Harvey, could be. uh, uh, Some of the other guys that have passed away. Anyway, um, this is a life thing. This is, this is, you fight for your life every day, and... uh, I've got physical problems, but uh, they're nothing like what I have to put up with with essay. The power of the look, the powerlessness I have to feel in the face of lust, and I got to do something about. In this room, I heard Harvey talk about the aberrant thought, and I love that because that's what I can I can name it. When I can name it, I know how to deal with it. That thought that wants me to go and see what lust is all about. It's that curiosity. It's like, will it hurt or will it not? Will it be bad for me or will it not? You know, I mean, being so curious about something that you know darn well is dangerous. You know, you're dealing with dynamite and you don't know it. So um, I just want to congratulate you on your first (laughs) face-to-face meeting and your first um, conference. Not only that, when I finish it... Not only that, when I finish up, I'll meet my essay sponsor for the first time face to face. I don't. I don't want to say to anybody that not face to face to face meetings aren't important. Of course, they're important. I get mine through AA, and I have for a long time. Uh, but. The program works no matter how you, you're there. I think the biggest thing to change for me is 
I didn't have to fight anything anymore. I didn't have to be right. I didn't have to figure out the answers. I didn't know what have to know what God's plan was for me. I didn't even have to know really what tomorrow was going to bring. Programs slowed me down. Now days take more time. Uh, they're richer. I have lots of time to do things that I never did before. And it all comes as a result of the fellowship. I've had a, a sponsor in AA since the beginning, and, uh, and I don't know how long I've had my sponsor in SA. I don't remember when I called him up and asked him, and he graciously said yes. Um, two guys that I would have never met otherwise, two people that are quite different from me and in every possible way, Yet they're exactly like I am, and they give me what I need. When I hear my sponsor in SA come to the phone meeting, and if he forgets about doing it, I jab him occasionally to come along. Um, I always hear wisdom. Same with my uh, AA sponsor. Um, it's a. <laughs> I sometimes words fail me, and I find myself repeating myself because this program is so amazing. Those steps, you read them, they seem so simple, you don't master them. And I think what helped me understand that was my AA sponsor. When I first met him, said he, had, at that point, had been 29 years sober. And he said he was still working to try to master steps one, two, and three. Um, we have 10 more minutes, so if anybody... Once. Thank you. I'm Dick. I'm from South Dakota. <clears throat> I'm a sexaholic. Um, no, I don't have buffalo in the backyard, and I don't live in a teepee. <laughs> but uh, I go to the only SA meeting in the state. Okay? So when Joe talks about telephone meetings, I can relate. And I can also say that without them, I probably wouldn't be sober today. I call a lot of people. A lot of people call me. But the fellowship, you know, and, and Joy, I don't mean this, but I need to put a face with the voice. And um, when I do that and when I see their desire for sobriety, and their willingness to work with me through the steps, it, it's, it's empowering. It's, you know, uh, my sponsor told me that I wouldn't really understand the program until I was a sponsor. And I learned more from my sponsees who only two are within my community, but I have several from across the country. Um, and, you know, they, my wife kind of doesn't like it when they call it weird hours, but, you know, um, she's, you know, I really relate to what Joe said about, you know, I'm very fortunate to have my wife and I try to please her whatever way I can. But um, I also say that, you know, you need me. I need whoever's on that phone because I really do. They 
sometimes it, it's a crisis. You know, they're right on the edge. They, they, you know, they're just so uptight. And and you know, this dang internet and porn and whatever late at night is dangerous for them. And I I understand that because it was dangerous for me. That's how I got caught middle of the night watching porn. But um, if some especially young person calls, I, I'm just so compelled. And after we're all done, and maybe the next day or the next day, they'll call back and say, thank you. And to me, that's really fellowship. You know, not that what's been talked about up here isn't fellowship, but it, it doesn't have to be over a plate or a meal. I love a cup of coffee and share, but um, there's so many aspects of fellowship and, and I want to close with this. And, and one of my sponsees gave me this about, I don't know, uh, I, I can't tell you when it was. Anyway, he was thanking me for his continued sobriety. And he said, you know, I'm really, really grateful. And this thought came to me. I'm changing because I have the attitude of gratitude. Thank you. <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should start here first. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm Simon, a grateful recovering lustaholic. Hi, Simon. <laughs> I'm in North Carolina, sexually sober by God's grace since 8802. I am very thankful to be here, and I'm really especially excited to, uh, to see Joe face-to-face. Uh, he has, a, he has a, a great program. In fact, I've shared on more than one occasion that, of course, I hope I never lose my sobriety, but <laughs> if I do, he's one of the people I consider asking to sponsor me. Um, and the meeting is about uh, fellowship, and I was eating lunch. We just got in a little while ago, uh, so I was late getting here, but... Um, it's hard for me to put into words how important fellowship is. I recognize its significance when I'm in big trouble. So it's one of the things that is easy to take for granted until you really need it. And probably the best way um, I can think of to describe it is Probably in the word itself, you know, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm an introvert. Um, I like being by myself, and it's, um, it's like, um, it's like kayaking. Anybody who's ever been kayaking, you know, the thrill of that, the thrill of a kayak, and you got the waves, and you got the white waters, and they're coming at you, and, whoosh, and you're getting drenched. You're getting drenched. You're like, I hope I don't die. I hope I don't drown. I hope I don't drown. Whoosh, exciting. Adrenaline. What a rush. What a rush. I might die. What a rush. And the fellowship is nice and smooth because ships don't rock the way kayaks do. Ships with my fellows we're peers. It's not about um, big I's and little U's. Fellows. My male fellows, my female fellows. 
I don't have to deal with the wind and the waves by myself. We're together because I'm a fellow in the fellowship. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for sharing. We are going to read the closing. Um, In closing, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Uh, Let's close with, do you want to do the third or the seventh? We're going to close with the third step prayer, if you'd please join me. God, I offer myself. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.